Episode 5 of my very creatively named Mitch Goldich Podcast. My guest today spent this past season as ESPN's Seattle Seahawks NFL Nation reporter. After a few seasons covering the Eagles for Philadelphia Magazine's Birds 24-7 website, he's written for a few other outlets and previously done radio work for 97.5 in Philly. His name is Sheil Kapadia. Thanks for joining me today, Sheil. No problem, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, I'm excited to have you on, so... Uh, Long-time listeners of this podcast, if I have any of them out there, they know that I'm from Philly, and uh, so obviously an Eagles fan, and I became a big fan of your work covering the Eagles, so it's uh, it's great to have you on and actually talk to you over the phone here. Absolutely, yep, I've moved locale, but we know those, uh, those Philly roots run deep, so uh, <laughs> yes. looking forward to it. Yeah, still, we were talking, still have that 610 area code out in Seattle. <laughs> That's right. So uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background, because um, I know I could have read a more detailed bio, but I think it's a little more fun to have you do it as a way of introduction. So could you just tell us how long have you been covering the NFL, and then what steps did you take to eventually get where you are now working at ESPN? Sure, yeah. I, uh, I guess I first started writing about the NFL. I worked for the Baltimore Suns website um in the uh, around 2005 and basically at that time we were just starting to check online traffic and trying to get a gauge of what readers liked and what they were interested in and we just saw that the coverage of the baltimore ravens there was just kind of doing better than anything else on the website at that time so uh, in addition to the beat writers who covered the team every day i was uh you know an online editor for the website, but I asked if I could kind of add to that NFL coverage. And, uh, you know, I did that and uh, people were interested in it. The traffic numbers were good, all those different types of things. And from there, I moved on to Philly.com, which uh, is the website for the Inquirer and the Daily News. And it was a similar role. You know, I was in the office probably, uh, you know, you know, basically every day you're working at, at an, as an editor, working with the reporters, determining coverage of the Philly Sixers, uh, flyers, eagles, colleges, all those different types of things. But at the same time, I was given the leeway to write about the NFL and the Eagles there as well. And um, again, you know, the the blog I wrote there did well. And uh, at that point, I decided I wanted to uh, pursue a full time writing opportunity. It wasn't happening uh, with that company at the time. So me and Tim McManus, who works for 97.5 The Fanatic, also and is a good friend of mine, decided to team up and pitch this idea to some different people. And uh, Philadelphia Magazine picked it up, and from there, we created a, uh, like you said, Birds 24-7, just covered the Eagles around the clock, around the year, had a lot of success with that, it was great working with Tim, um, really proud of the work we did there and kind of the creation of that site. And then this opportunity came up in Seattle uh, over the summer and decided to jump on it. So I guess that's uh, not, the, not, not the short version, but that's kind of uh, how I got here to Seattle. Yeah, so that's really interesting about Baltimore. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you didn't 
break into the sports media business specifically to write about football? You were just were you just interested in every sport and then just figured, okay, we we need the football traffic and this is working. So you did you sort of just like at that point turn your attention a little bit more to football and 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 kind of dive deeper into it than you had before? Yeah, yeah, that's right. After college, I worked, my first job was for PennLive.com, which is in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and I, and I wrote, I blogged basically about Penn State football there, but again, I, I was in the office every day doing a lot of other things, and that was kind of just a small portion of the job, and uh, Baltimore has the two professional sports teams, obviously the Orioles and the Ravens, and at that time, the Orioles were in that prolonged funk where they were not, uh, you know, people were still obviously very interested, but um, it wasn't a year-round thing where it was generating a ton of excitement. And at the same time, the Ravens had obviously had a lot of success, so there was uh, more interest there. So, yeah, just kind of fell into it at that point. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing grew up a big sports fan then, just a uh, general bunch of different sports? Yeah, yeah, I was always a big sports fan. You know, that's how I kind of got into the business. I figured, what can I do? to kind of continue my my interest in sports and get paid for it. So it wasn't a case where I um, loved journalism or was a great writer or anything like that. I, I was always thinking, of how can I really get into sports? You know, I always liked baseball, basketball, football. Basically, I always followed those three sports, um, you know, since I was a, a very little kid. And, um, you know, that that's how I decided what career I wanted to pursue. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons I was, uh, I think, a little surprised, uh, I, I think I would have expected that you were kind of diehard go-hung, have to get into football from the start, because one of the things that I really enjoyed about your work covering the Eagles was how much you were able to do X's and O's, and you had some great stories with all the screenshots from the game, and then you know, you're know you putting in boxes around people and arrows and showing us blocking schemes and things like that. And I always think it takes a maybe a different breed of person to be a great X's and O's person. Is that something uh, you've always been interested in or something that you just had to really work at and, and pick up a little bit later on in your uh, kind of football watching life? Yeah, I would say something I, I kind of had to pick up on. You know, I never I, I played football for fun around the neighborhood like everybody else, but I never played it at a competitive level or anything like that. And, um, you know, when Tim and I started that website for 24 seven with Philadelphia magazine, we really decided that if we're going to make this work, we have to do something different than everybody else is doing. And the mainstream kind of coverage is. And, um, you know, at that time, at least in the market, it didn't seem like there was anyone doing the hardcore X's and O's where you're, you know, asking Jason Kelsey, the center or another offensive lineman or a coach, about what happened on a specific play, why it worked, why it didn't work, and then being able to show that with the release of that uh, All-22 Coaches film that they just started releasing to the public maybe within the last five years, it kind of made for a good marriage. And really the more uh, I did that and the more we did that on the site, the better the response was. And, um, you know, we just realized it was something we wanted to keep going, and I think it became one of the real trademarks or or hallmarks of the site. Mm -hmm. So how much work was that? just the amount of time watching the tape that would go into a piece like that, or even just general for background knowledge, how much time in a typical week uh, at the peak there at 24 seven, were you spending just breaking down film and preparing those pieces? Yeah, it was very long. You know, I would say I I would usually watch the offense uh, once with that coach's film. And, you know, that could take anywhere between two and three hours, I would say to watch that where I'm just making notes on stuff that happened, different players, different questions to ask 
uh, once we have media availability, and then the same for the defense. So just watching it was probably five or six hours. And then uh, from there, you get to the point, you know, it's so hard to always determine what's happening. You can certainly take some educated guesses and those types of different things. And I would talk to the players right after the game, so I would get an idea uh, on some general storylines. But it wasn't until midweek, Tuesday or Wednesday, when I could go up to them and say, hey, on this play in the third quarter, a key third down um, that you guys picked up, you know, what, what, why did this work kind of thing. And then they would explain it to me. And at times it would confirm what I thought I saw and other times it would totally uh, go the other direction. So I think combining those different things of, of watching it yourself and coming up with some ideas, but also being able to get input from the players and coaches when they're willing. And a lot, a lot of them are pretty paranoid, but um, the ones that were willing, that those were always the pieces that I was uh, most happy with. Mm-hmm. Do you think it benefited you to be around the Eagles when Chip Kelly was there? Because I know so much was made of him when he first jumped to the NFL about his scheme and how different it was from what other teams were doing. So do you think that helped you gain a lot just from being able to watch and study what he was doing in Philly? Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, when he got there, there had already been quite a bit written about his scheme and um, those different types of things. So I just sort of read up on everything I could and picked up a lot of different things. And then it was fresh for the players and the coaches. So it was like, you know, they're learning this really a lot of them. It wasn't, you know, totally revolutionary ideas, but the different concepts and uh, how they were being taught different things were very fresh in their minds. So I think that helped a lot too uh, with them communicating it to me. Mm -hmm. So then the current job now with ESPN, do you get a chance to do as much X's and O's and tape stuff or are you busy doing more uh, sort of reporting and talking to sources and rumors and general updates on the team uh, is, is more of your time spent that way than on these tape pieces? I would say this year, I probably, you know, this year I think I did a little bit more analytical statistical stuff. Um, and that was for a couple of reasons. There are some licensing issues with being able to show those screen grabs and uh, gifs on different websites. And a lot of companies don't adhere to them, but ESPN does uh, does adhere to them. So you have some limits on what you can do in terms of showing the screen grab. So, you know, I think it was a little bit more um, storytelling and analytical stuff. You know, I, I still did some X's and O's, like the way the Seahawks teach their cornerbacks uh, to play defense. They use what's called a step kick technique, which was totally new to me, um, and I didn't know a lot about. So I did a pretty lengthy piece just interviewing them about those things, but uh, it's also hard when you're in a new market and I haven't, uh, you know, I hadn't built up the trust with the players and coaches where I can ask them an X's and O's question and they're always willing to give me an answer. I think that was one of the advantages by the time Chip Kelly got there. Uh, I had already kind of built up some relationships with players where they knew, hey, he's coming to ask me this. I can have an honest conversation with him and if I tell him um, something not to include, he'll do it. So I think, um, you know, I think the first year on the beat, is a lot about relationship building, and um, that was certainly part of this season for me. That was one of the big questions I wanted to ask you because I, I, you know, you are so uh, engrossed in what the Eagles are doing, and then all of a sudden move on to Seattle. How? What? First off, when did you find out that you were moving? How far before the season started? And then did you feel behind on not just sources and contacts, but understanding the Seahawks scheme and you know all that tape that you uh, all that tape work you'd put in learning the Eagles system did you feel pressure or put it on yourself to go study Seattle to get them at that length how far behind did you feel when you took over there 
Yeah, I, I definitely did uh, feel a little bit behind. I think uh, I was in um, Bristol for a couple of days of training in August, and then from there I flew to Seattle for a day, and then I think the next day they had a preseason game in San Diego. So I flew to San Diego, and I think that was the third preseason game. So that was really when I got started. And, you know, training camp and the spring practices, OTAs, mini camps, those are really valuable just in terms of getting to know the players and the coaches. And, you know, there's not as much media there. And, um, you know, there's, everyone's not focused on kind of the first game or the next game as they are during the season. So I think that's a pretty important time when you're covering and NFLB. And so I missed those things. So yeah, I, I was a little bit behind the eight ball. So once I, I knew I was going to be moving and taking this job, I definitely started reading up as much as I could about the team and the scheme and listening to different podcasts and reading different websites uh, and learning more about different players. But uh, it, there was certainly a period of catch up there for me. Uh, yeah. So you, you didn't get hired until the middle of the preseason then basically? Yeah, yeah, it was the um, I, I I guess I had kind of a, accepted the job, but then there, you know, everything takes time. So by the time you have a start date and you know all the paperwork's done and um, you do some training and those different types of things, yeah, it was I think the third game of the preseason. Oh wow! Um, so had you been sort of mentally preparing for another Eagles season then, and then all of a sudden uh, found out you were on the move and picked up and took the family to Seattle and everything? Yeah, yeah, I, um, you know, I covered OTAs and mini camps, and I'm trying to remember now. I, I think I covered the start of training camp in Philadelphia. I honestly can't even uh, remember at this point. But um, yeah, this wasn't an off season where I was looking to move. We had a good thing going in Philadelphia. I thought we were going to continue, and then um, you know, all of a sudden, this kind of just popped up, and um, we decided to go for it. So I, I came out, and then my uh, wife and daughter came out on Labor Day. So there was about 10 days or two weeks in between there where I was kind of uh, by myself out here trying to figure out the right roads to take, where to live, all those uh, different types of things. Yeah. So uh, so how much – was it weird leaving the Eagles? Did you keep up with them uh, while you were there? I mean, how much are you able to follow the rest of the league and some of the other teams while you're worried primarily about keeping up with the Seahawks? Yeah, you know, you, I like you said, I had invested a lot of time there, so I certainly wanted to see uh, how things were going to play out this year. So, um, you know, when they were on, when they were on national TV or when the Seahawks had a bye or a Monday night game, I certainly tuned in. Um, you know, I saw a lot of friends back in Philadelphia. My parents live out there. So I would say I had a pretty good handle on how things were going, but, uh, you know, nothing like I had the previous years when I'm going to practice every day and, interviewing players every day, all those different types of things. I was pretty focused um, on the Seahawks, and it was just a, a case of all those different relationships I had, just keeping tabs on what was going on uh, out there in Philly. Mm -hmm. I did see, though, ESPN let you write a piece after Chip Kelly was fired talking about sort of how it went wrong. I think it was a column, basically, you know, your opinion on, on where things had broken down. Was that Stuff like that, were they flexible or where that's your that's an area of expertise for you and you can come to them and say, hey, I'd like to write about the Eagles, uh, you know, in this case, or did somebody come to you? You know, something like that when you're hired specifically on the Seahawks beat, but obviously ESPN's so huge and so many people do different things, uh, you know, something like that where you're a little bit off the beat. How does that come about? Yeah, they've been uh, they've been great about that. They had reached out to me about doing a piece about where he might 
uh, land after he got fired by the Eagles, and I, I agreed to do that one. And then, you know, I had a lot of thoughts. Like you said, I had covered the guy from his opening press conference until, you know, several months ago in August when I came out to Seattle. So I had a lot of thoughts about why it didn't work and uh, what, what the issues were, those different things. And I just asked them if I could write a column on that, and they said, absolutely, go for it. So that was great. And then I did another one, actually, when he was hired by the 49ers, about maybe what he could do to uh, to kind of have success at his second stop, and they were all for that also. So that, that's been great. It hasn't been, hey, you're only allowed to write about the Seahawks. That's your beat. Don't do anything else. They've been pretty open to different ideas. You know, so to, during the Super Bowl, I wrote a piece before the Super Bowl and after the Super Bowl just on some, you know, diff- different topics about what it's like to watch the game at home, what stood out with the broadcast, uh, what to watch for some gambling stuff. So, uh, it's been great. They haven't uh, actually haven't told me no for any of those things uh, quite yet. So that flexibility has been really nice. Nice. And I, I was actually about to bring that up about uh, the Super Bowl, too, because I'm curious just what, what the playoffs were like. Obviously, Seattle's a team going into the season. They're one of the favorites. So you figure there's a good shot. You're going to have a, a long playoff run. But had you talked about that beforehand that uh, sort of, you know, you go as far as the Seahawks go and then you're done? Or did you know going in you might have opportunities to keep writing even after they lost? Or, you know, what would your playoffs have looked like if they had, if Seattle had missed the playoffs? You know, how far or how early in the season do you talk about that? And sort of what was that plan like for you? Yeah, you know, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't have a uh, lot of discussion with them about that. I think everyone who has these NFL Nation jobs and there's one for every NFL team, uh, you know, you realize this is a, you're writing about that team 12 months out of the year. So once your team's out of it, you better start getting stuff ready for the off season. And the way the NFL has sort of planned the schedule, as everyone knows, it's like the Super Bowl's over and a couple of weeks later, there's the combine and then you start a free agency and then you got the draft and uh, spring practices are here. So there's like, there's really only a few weeks a year, I would say, where nothing is going on and, you really have to work hard to get creative. But I, I sort of knew going in that the Seahawks are your thing and, you know, anything about them, you need to be all over it and uh, you need to come up with interesting stories maybe during some of those slow periods. So that's been the number one focus. And the other stuff, it's just, um, you know, if you, I feel like if you have a good idea, you pitch it to them and if no one else is doing it and they think it's a good idea, uh, they'll let you go ahead and write it. So that's been great. So, But it's not necessarily like, hey, if Blair Walsh makes a chip shop, uh, she'll get an extra week of sleep or anything like that. <laughs> no, no. And it was especially <laughs> strange for me this year because my, uh, my daughter was due um, in the middle of January. So I actually did not travel to those playoff games because I did not want to be stuck in the uh, frigid Minnesota or on the other side of the country in Charlotte when, uh, when my daughter was being born. So I actually had to stay home for those games and uh, we sent someone else out to cover the actual games and you know i did the uh the stuff during the week at the team facility and i still did some stuff from home on game day but uh yeah that, that was kind of strange having them play those final two games and not being there yeah oh that's awesome though that they let you do that i'm sure uh so how, how far in advance did you talk to them about that because i guess uh you know how many months is the football season you must have known pretty early that the the due date was come playoff time yeah, we were joking when I, I took the job. You know, the Seahawks, they, they were obviously the favorites. They had been to the Super Bowl two straight years. So we were hoping that either they would, uh, you know, get home field advantage throughout. 
or that they wouldn't make the playoffs at all, so it wouldn't be an issue. But obviously, that didn't happen. They got a wild card berth. So I made sure I gave my editor, um, you know, certainly a couple months of notice on the possibility of this happening. And, uh, yeah, they were great about it. They sent Rich Samini, who covers the New York Jets. He covered the uh, the games for me. And like I said, I, I kind of did all the other stuff that you can do from home watching it on the TV broadcast. And then uh, my daughter waited until the season was over. I think the season ended on a, on a Sunday, and she was born the following Wednesday. So everything worked out well. Well, that was very nice of her. <laughs> um, yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, and I guess, uh, yeah, so it all worked out. So, you know, you're not, not supposed to technically root for the team, but deep down those Seahawks-Cardinals games, you're like, eh, you know, it'd be kind of nice if we, if uh, Seattle gets that home field advantage. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, like I said, I was rooting for, for either home field throughout or uh, no playoffs at all, so it wouldn't be an issue. But everything worked out, so no complaints. Yeah. Um, cool. So while I have you here, I do want to ask you just a few X's and O's on the Seahawks, if that's cool. Um, especially, sure. you know, you having seen it. So everybody's raving about Russell Wilson. I mean, he's been great for years, but this year, really, in particular, people are talking about how much progress he made. So as specific as you can be, what do you think he did this year that was so much better than he's been in the past? You know, I think it was just um, him being able to make plays and operate from the pocket. I, I don't think that was ever like a, a major question for him, but obviously in previous years, when you thought about Russell Wilson, you thought a little bit about the athleticism and him improvising and him extending plays and uh, him running around and those different types of things. But this year they got off to a two and four start and the pass protection was not good. And obviously some of that is always on the quarterback, whether it's uh, setting up pre-snap protections or holding on to the football, those different types of things. And at the bye week, they made a lot of changes where they did incorporate more of a quick passing game into their arsenal. And, uh, you know, they executed that really well. I always knew what Russell Wilson's strengths were, but just being kind of up close there during the second half of the season, you know, I think it was 24 touchdowns, one interception on a, on a seven-game stretch. It was really fun to watch. And, uh, you know, that's why I think some of the Seahawks fans probably – are disappointed with how the season ended. But if you look at the big picture, to have a 27-year-old quarterback who was continuing to improve, who led the NFL in passer rating, and who has never missed a game or a practice, you know, they're going to be in this thing for years to come. So I think there are a lot of, uh, you know, there's certainly a light at the end of the tunnel, even though they went out in the divisional round. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's a coincidence that he took off around the same time that Marshawn Lynch was hurt and missing games or do you think uh do you think that's a coincidence or do you think maybe they could have been better off without him and and will be fine in the long run i think they'll be fine but i, I do think that was you know mostly coincidental but thomas rawls came in the the backup and he was just you know fantastic i think he's one of five uh running backs in nfl history who has a rookie had more than 800 yards and averaged more than five and a half yards per carry so it was a strange situation where lynch was missing time but his backup was putting up these historic numbers until he went out with an ankle injury late in the season. So I think they're in good hands with Rawls. You know, I saw enough out of him where I think they're, he's going to be the starter going forward, and he's going to really be good for them. Mm -hmm. So now it's the offseason. How much work do you put in at this point? Because obviously the Combine's coming up. I'm guessing, are you going to go to the Combine? Uh, will you be there? I will not be at the Combine. I'll be at the owners' meetings um next month so i 
I'm actually still getting a handle on how they do the up travel and all those different types of things here uh-huh. as I've only been in the job for six months. But uh, yeah, this year I won't be going to the combine and I'll be going to the owner's meeting. Okay. So how much, uh, how much work are you doing now looking at tape of not just the Seahawks, but college players? And, uh, you know, is that sort of under your purview to think about which players are the best available and the best fits for the Seahawks? You know, is that, uh, do they sort of expect all the NFL nation reporters to be draft guys or were you a draft guy already? How does that kind of fit into your job? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Um, and everybody, the editors or the, the people who write, you know, there's obviously 32 teams and you get split up with different editors. So it probably depends on which editor you have. But, uh, yeah, you know, I do enjoy the draft. I'm not, like, on a scale of 1 to 10. I'm probably at, like, a 7 or, or an 8 maybe. I'm not at a 9 or a 10. But uh, I am digging into that right now. And I, I think more interesting is sort of the organizational philosophy. You know, in Philadelphia, I had a pretty good idea. I felt like, going into last year's draft, at least what types of players Chip Kelly and the Eagles were looking for, whether it was certain measurables or character uh, or or production experience, those different types of things. And so so now it's kind of fun. I've been digging into it this week of who had the Seahawks drafted in recent years at, you know, at different positions, which ones do they value more than others? Uh, What are they looking for from a measurable standpoint, whether it's height, weight, speed, uh, all those different types of tests and different types of things and trying to figure out what their sort of blueprint is. They've obviously had so much success here in recent years and built a really strong core of the roster. So uh, once I kind of get those prototypes in place, I think, yeah, then I'll be digging in here shortly into who I think they might be looking at in the draft. Do you have a sense on the Seahawks? Because obviously they've drafted so many guys uh, and sort of they had some homegrown talent on those two Super Bowl teams do you have a sense how much of it is good drafting and how much of it's maybe player development and coaching once they already have the guys there? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think certainly that has been a big, big factor. You know, if Russell Wilson goes to another team or if Richard Sherman goes to another team, um, you know, how much do they get to play? Even a wide receiver like Doug Baldwin, you know, Jim Harbaugh, him and Jim Harbaugh putted heads there at Stanford and he wasn't given a chance to play really until someone got injured in the not this season. He had 14 touchdowns. So I think it's always a combination of those different types of things. And as we're seeing around the league, that relationship between the coach and general manager is just so crucial. If those two guys are not on the same page, you're really looking at a lot of issues, whether it's the draft, free agency, uh, trimming the roster down to 53 players, all those different types of things. And I think they've gotten pretty lucky and pretty fortunate with uh, Schneider and Carroll, those two guys on the same page. They have a way that they want to do it. They know what they're looking for in players, and I think that's been a big reason for the success. So those guys in particular, Schneider and Carroll, because you were talking earlier about how the first year on the beat, it's hard to, it's important to build relationships, and maybe you don't have the trust of some of the players. At this point, you've been around for six months following those guys around, and also I'm sure it doesn't hurt having ESPN be, uh, you know, on your microphone or notepad or whatever. At this point, how easy is it? How well have you done uh, sort of getting to know those guys? If you need something from somebody like a Pete Carroll or John Schneider or a player, you know, how much easier is it now than when you first started? Well, it is easier, but it's still, um, you know, I think I still have a lot of work to do. It's, it's really tough to build relationships with a lot of the kind of key decision makers in the NFL, a lot of it is uh, a press conference setting where you might be sitting in the first row every day for the entire season, but it might still be tough to kind of get a, one, a one-on-one interview. 
kind of thing. And I know here John Schneider doesn't like to be in the spotlight during the season. He likes to let Pete Carroll handle all those different types of things. So I really haven't had a media availability with him quite yet. I know he'll talk at the Combine, and hopefully um, we'll get some time with him at some point in the offseason. But I think that's probably an ongoing process for um, you know any any NFL reporter you would talk to, regardless of the outlet. Does it seem, because obviously it's competitive, it's the NFL, but uh, is it tougher? Is the, does the market seem different between Seattle versus Philly? And maybe that's a difference of the guys who are in the building and are sort of dictating the rules for media availability, or maybe it comes down to the number of reporters. But are there any differences you've seen between Seattle and Philly so far? Yeah, I think the volume is the biggest thing. You know, in Philadelphia, I'm pretty sure that um, they they had told me that they had the largest number of daily credentialed reporters of any team in the NFL. And you could certainly see it. I remember uh, one day during OTAs, I think it might have been Tim Tebow's first day, uh, you know, public day there, there were more reporters than there were players. And that's when rosters were at 90, 90 guys. So oh, the, the media wants to cover Tim Tebow? Are you sure? I, I, I haven't. That's I the know. first I'm hearing that. <laughs> I know. And I, I remember also uh, at the owners' meetings, they have these coaches' breakfast. So, what happens is, uh, you know, they do the AFC one morning and they do the NFC the next morning. And it's at a fancy hotel and they open up this room. It's kind of like what you would see at a wedding where there's all these different circular tables with the coaches' names on it. And I think that starts at 7 o'clock. And two years ago was my first time covering it. And I think I got there at 6.30 and there was not a table open at uh, our seat open at Chip Kelly's table. So last year, you know, I decided that's not going to happen to me again. And we went even earlier. We probably got there before 6 a.m. And, um, you know, around 6.30, 6.45, if you looked around the room, every seat at Chip Kelly's table was taken. And there was probably like two other reporters league-wide in the room. So uh, I don't think it gets more, you know, much more competitive than that Philadelphia Eagles beat. But certainly here, uh, you know, there's a lot of good people that they're certainly – um, very good reporters who cover the team. It's just the volume, the sheer number of people who do it, uh, it has been a big change for me. Mm-hmm. So, so obviously a guy like Tebow is an extenuating circumstance, and I feel like Chip Kelly's like that too. Do you? How much of that do you think was Philly being the Philly market, and how much of it do you think was just Chip Kelly being, uh, you know, uh, a curiosity to a lot of people, and and another guy who's sort of high profile and under the media microscope. Yeah, I think locally, when you look at the number of outlets uh, who cover that team, I don't think it's going to change. I think people, a lot of the media companies um, there in Philadelphia just realized that that is just such a huge area of interest and there's so much to write about and all those different types of things that it makes sense to commit the resources to it. I think with someone like Tebow or, like you said, even Chip Kelly, I think that's where the national stuff uh, comes in a little more. You might see more people from whether it's magazines, websites, TV, whatever the case may be, who want to cover that big story of a, a player who has that national appeal. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see if it's a little less this year, but it's, it's still going to be huge. Like I said, with just kind of the daily uh, number of people who cover the team on a daily basis. Okay, so just a few more questions here, and then I can let you get out of here. Um, so sure. you, you do a lot of different things. You've, you've covered games, and now the owners meeting, and getting ready for the draft. So with all this... How do you sort of uh, think about the job you're doing? How, like, what makes you think, okay, I've done a good job, or how do you sort of set goals for yourself on the kinds of things that you want to do 
Um, is it sort of the just get through the grind or do you sort of think bigger picture? Like, how do you know that you're happy with the quality of work that you're doing? Um, yeah, that's a, a good question. Probably one I haven't thought too much about. I mean, it's always, uh, I think when you write something, you have an idea of the quality of it and whether, you know, how much work you put into it and whether it turned out the way you wanted it to turn out, all those different types of things. And then you have a lot of feedback now, you know, whether it's Twitter or emails or, um, you know, people uh, just telling you what they thought of your work. And, you know, I know some people probably ignore that. I think that's probably the people who have kind of made it to a very high level where they have hundreds of people tweeting at them every day. But um, on my level, I still find that valuable. You know, you're always going to have your trolls or your, your jerks who kind of just say something to get a rise out of you. But I would say for the most part, um, I'm able to get some pretty good feedback, whether it's positive or constructive criticism, or you can tell kind of what resonated uh, with your audience and, and some people who are reading. So um, that's certainly one way. Like I said, you always know um, what kind of work you're putting out there. And then, uh, you know, you get feedback from your editors and different types of bosses and, and your peers as well when you see them uh, in different cities. So, uh, yeah, I, I try not to get caught up with just a daily, all right, I have to write two things today. I do try to keep some bigger picture stuff in mind, and that's kind of an ongoing battle because there is so much stuff going on every day. But I think the, the things you really want to work on, whether it's the deep dives or the X's and O's or a profile on a player, um, those are the things that, at least for me, I'm really proud of, and, and I, I would always like to keep doing more of those. It's interesting you brought up your peers. How much time do you spend reading work or, or you know, watching work uh, or listening to podcasts from either your peers at ESPN or your peers who are also covering the Seahawks for different outlets? Uh, I would say I spend a lot of time doing that. You know, I do a morning links post every day on ESPN.com. And, um, you know, one, I think it's just, a, you know, a good way to start out the day, give people sort of a roundup of what people are talking about, but also um, it forces you to read the other people on the beat, um, whether it's local or, or even nationally, what people are saying about the team. And I think it's always important um, to not live in a vacuum and, uh, you know, pretend that you have everything covered and that nobody else has a different angle kind of thing. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I guess a little bit competitive, but not to the point where uh, I'm worried about linking to somebody else's work or uh, giving them a compliment on Twitter or tweeting out a link to a different website, all those different types of things. So, yeah, I, I read a lot of um, what the other people are saying about the Seahawks. And then again, like we talked about at the beginning, I'm kind of a consumer of sports. So uh, I'm listening to sports podcasts. I'm watching ESPN all the time. I'm reading stuff that I like, whether it's our website or a different website, whether it's football or basketball or another sport, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I think that's a good way to kind of get different ideas. And uh, it's just sort of an interest of mine. So I would be doing it whether I had this job or not. Yeah. And it's a big, it's research for you as, as much as anything, not just checking out what the competitors are, but it's a way to learn and, and maybe pick up something. If two people are at the same practice, you read somebody else's column and catch something that maybe you missed. That's right. Or if I need to get out of like a uh, family event or a social function or something, I can always use that as an excuse that, <laughs> Hey, I need to, I need to watch this game. I swear I'm doing work right now. So, That's a good uh, one. Yeah, that, yeah. I use that all the time too. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, uh, I think I'm go. busy that day. There's a big uh, Monday night football game on. <laughs> That's right. So you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Definitely. 
All right, I have one last question for you, and I know I I always ask a lot of questions about Philly, so I'm going to mix it up and ask about a different team here. And last question for you is, how do you think San Francisco will do with Chip Kelly there? Uh, you know, I think it will. The number one thing it will depend on is his relationship uh, with the GM Trent Baalke, because because we know Chip Kelly did not respect Howie Roseman. He kind of booted him to the side and got full personnel power. And uh, you know, I don't think that was his only issue, but I think that was certainly uh, a pretty big issue. And I just don't know, you know, if he really respects Balky and Balky is able to put together uh, a talented roster. Um, you know, I think maybe it could work if Chip makes some changes, but I, I just worry about that seeing how Balky and Jim Harbaugh ended, um, you know, when it comes down to trim the roster to 53 players, is Chip Kelly really going to be willing to say, okay, you make the cut and tell me who I'm left with. So I, I think that's the biggest question. And also, I don't think that's a very talented roster right now. We saw last year uh, they were not a good football team. I think they have seven overall picks. The quarterback situation is kind of in flux. So, uh, you know, I think he went he went 10-6, and six, obviously, his first season with the Eagles. I would be stunned if he had that kind of turnaround in his first season with the 49ers. So if you had to guess and put an over-under on it for how many years he is the head coach in San Francisco, where would you uh, set the line? Well, that's a good one. Um, you know what? I will say – I'll say three. I don't uh, – if, if I really had to kind of put my life savings on it right now, I would probably bet against that being um, a very long-term relationship. That works. So who knows? Maybe he'll surprise me. I, I do think he has it in him to be a very good coach. I do like a lot of his ideas, um, and I really enjoy covering him and some of the uh, out-of-the-box stuff. But I think if I had to guess on it, I, I think a lot of the issues maybe that surfaced in Philadelphia would probably uh, arise again in San Francisco, and uh, I would put the number at three. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be fun for you. You get to, you're close to it, uh, sort of getting, uh, you know, him back in your division, and you'll get two games next year between the Seahawks and Niners, and moving forward. So it'll be uh, fun for you, I'm sure, to keep an eye on it. That's right. We do a conference call with the opposing team's uh, coach every week, so I will, uh, I will reintroduce myself to Chip and bother him with more of my annoying questions. Once again, he only got away from me for one season. Nice. Well, now I, I told you that I was only going to ask one more question, but I lied. Now I've got to ask you, what's the what's the first question you would ask him on the conference call? You know, I think it'll probably just depend on how the season's going. And a lot of times um, during those, the opposing coach doesn't really want to be there or answer a lot of questions. So I think it helps to, um, you know, warm him up a little bit. So I don't know. That's something I would have to see how his season's going, what the matchup that week is looking like and go from there. But uh, I know he also hates those uh, general BS questions about how's your season going or how do you feel about this? So who knows? I might have to start with something X's and O's. I feel like I always got pretty good responses out of him uh, when I asked about that. Okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Sheila. I appreciate it. I've always said that culture beats scheme on my podcast. So it's nice to have you on here. Uh, and thanks, everybody else, for listening. If you want to follow Shield on Twitter, that's a great way to check out all of his work. He's at Shield Kapadia, S-H-E-I-L-K-A-P-A-D-I-A. If you enjoyed it, you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mitch Goldich, M-I-T-C-H-G-O-L-D-I-C-H. 
If you really enjoyed it, you can also subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. I've had some great guests before, Eric Malinowski, Jason Stark, Jeff Perlman, Will Leach. So if you're a first-time listener, feel free to go back and check them all out. If you're really thrilled, you can even leave a rating or a review. Uh, check out my Facebook page where I post links to my podcasts and all my other work that I'm writing at SI. And you can also check out my website, MitchGoldish.com. So once again, I want to thank Shil Kapadia for joining me on the podcast, and thanks everybody else for listening. I'll talk to you again soon.